Good morning. All right, we're going to be in 2 Peter once again, so feel free to turn there with me as you're you're, uh, getting ready here to dig in. Uh, But I just wanted to take a moment, and as we got to recognize our law enforcement officers and and so graciously had Chief Becker with us this morning, I also want to uh, take an opportunity and and just stop and pray. Uh, If you've been following the news or watching, uh, there was a tragedy yesterday in the Buffalo area, and uh, there was also a lot of law enforcement officers that responded to that, but uh, when things like this happen, uh, one of the things that I personally do as a Christian and, and I would hope for us as a church is that we would stop and pray um, because that should be our first response. I know lots of other things come over us when, when things happen, when tragedies happen or evil uh, things happen in this world, but the best thing we can do is just pause for a moment and pray. So I'm going to pray for a minute if you'll join me. Uh, I would encourage you to to continue to pray, not just while we're here this morning, but as we go forward uh, for things like this that have happened, specifically what's happened in Buffalo yesterday. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would be gracious to those who have suffered um, in many parts of the world and specifically through this shooting in Buffalo yesterday. Lord, we know there was innocent people who have died We pray that you would comfort their families. We pray that you would comfort their loved ones. We pray for the community of Buffalo, as this not only impacts those who are directly there, but also impacts the larger city with fears and safety concerns, Lord. And I ask that you would comfort them this morning. As we're here gathered to worship the living God, we ask that you would raise up the church in Buffalo. Help them to be able to meet needs, to serve. Help them to pray effectively. And we ask for those who have been affected by this to feel the prayers of the church, both us here and also those locally that are right around them. Lord, we don't always know how this works, but we we pray that you would miraculously bring good from a tragic situation. We know that you are a good God. We know that this is a broken world. And we know that you continue to work even when this brokenness is right in front of us. And we ask that you would today bring good to those who are there. That you would bless the responders, that you would help them as they have had to suffer through tragedy this weekend, that you would bless the families and help the church to come alongside them as they mourn. And Lord, I ask that you would in some way through the work of the Holy Spirit, draw some to know you and to find hope in you in the midst of a broken world. Lord, we need your help in this world. As we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would give it, that you would open our, our minds and our hearts, that you would impact our lives so that we can continue to impact the world around us. And so in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for pausing with me for a moment there, and we want to be a church that is aware of what's going on around us and also continually lifts that up to the Lord. So we ask that you would continue to do that as you go from here. So 2 Peter chapter 3, we've been in this process of walking ourselves through this book and verse by verse pulling apart what God has for us and, and not only what Peter wrote to this first century church, but what God would have for us to know 
as we walk through and look at the challenges and the encouragements that God has for us in his word in this particular part of, of the text of scripture. And as we close today, we're going to wrap up the letter of 2 Peter. And we've been walking our way through in the, the beginning of 2 Peter, if you remember and think back, it was a little while ago, but the beginning of 2 Peter was an encouragement. It was an encouragement that we would know that uh, those who are in Christ, their calling is sure. It's fixed. It's forever. And in knowing that, that what comes next is Peter writes this letter and some of the challenges that are happening in the first century church that are very similar challenges we're experiencing today in our world and in our churches, that we would know that we can always fall back on the truth of who God is and what he's done for us. That that truth should always encourage us no matter what the circumstances around us are, is happening, but also in the midst of those who may want to lead others astray. So false teaching has been addressed throughout this letter as well, that, that some want to distort what God has said, and in doing so, they bring condemnation on themselves. And as we start to wrap up this book, we looked last week at the, last, the previous few verses, and the last point that we walked away with last sermon was this, that the people of God need to be people who are diligent, and particularly last week, we talked about diligence in one area. Diligence in the area of repentance. What does it look like for the people of God to, yes, once and for all, repent of their sins and accept the free gift of Jesus' salvation? But then as we go throughout this world, knowing that we are not perfect, what does it look like for us as the people of God to consistently repent of our sins? So that, as Peter was encouraging the first century church, when the day of the Lord comes, when Jesus does return again, that his people are ready, that we're prepared, that we are, as is mentioned in verse 14 of 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 3, that we are to be found without spot or blemish and at peace. And being without spot or blemish and being at peace with the Lord only comes from repentance towards him and away from our sin, and communion, and walking with him. That we're to be found people who are be at peace. In these last few verses, verses 15 through 18, Peter tells us a little bit more about the diligence that's required as the people of God. So even as he's finishing up this letter, so if you're, we don't do a lot of letter writing nowadays. I don't know, I, at least I don't. Uh, maybe you do more letter writing, but here's one of the things that is so impactful about an actual written letter. When you send somebody, especially in today's day and age, a written letter, it feels like you took more time and attention. And particularly as Peter is writing this letter to the first century church and those who have been scattered and persecuted for the name of Christ, when he is wrapping up this letter, he wants to be very specific about what it is that they need to walk away with. And just as we write letters or maybe emails or, or uh, however it is that you choose to best communicate, when you're, when you're closing something like that, a letter or an email that's longer, what you do is typically you repeat the most important parts. Just to make sure in case they got lost in all the text, that they walk away with what God is truly saying. And verses 15 through 18 are kind of this synopsis of what we need to know as the people of God as we go. 
as we walk away from the letter that we've studied. And it carries with it this idea of diligence. And diligence, if you remember, we talked a little bit about this last week. Diligence is this idea that you don't give up easy. That you're willing to work. You're willing to push through. Even today we sang, and we sing almost every week, about songs that encourage us to keep trusting the Lord in whatever comes in front of us, whatever affects us, whatever, whatever craziness is going on in the world around us. And today we even mention the word chaos, right? There's, sometimes we feel like there's just chaos happening everywhere, right? And if you read the news or watch the news or if you just spend much time out in the world, it feels like it may be a little chaotic in this world. And what God does is he wants to bring us through Jesus peace. He wants us to be able to be calm and rested in the midst of a chaotic world that we live in. Even as we watch things like this war going on and continuing in Ukraine, or we hear about tragedies like what happened in Buffalo yesterday, it's easy to lose heart. It's easy to let a little bit of this hopelessness start to creep in. And here's what we have to remember. The people of God, because we know God through his son and are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we always have hope. We always have hope. There is never a time where God's children should resign themselves to hopelessness. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have to fight for it, right? That's why this word diligent has been repeated for us in this text. We have to be diligent. We have to work at this. We have to remind ourselves of it. We have to remind each other of it, which is a huge function of the family of God, is reminding each other of the hope we have in Christ. So as we look at these verses, he continues on with what we need to be diligent in, and he gets very specific for us. So I'm going to read. I'm going to start in actually verse 14. So follow along with me. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, if you can. We're going to read down through the end of this book. Verse 14 says this, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. These are some of the things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant or unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. As we look at God's word this morning, I want us to take away three distinctive things that this diligence works itself out in. So if you are a note taker, you can feel free to write these down and we'll unpack them a little bit. But in verses 15 through 17, Peter encourages us, to be diligent, to share the gospel in the day of salvation. 
And here's where Peter kind of flushes this out for us. He's previously talked about the day of judgment, right? That, that we need to be ready for the day of the Lord, that the day of judgment is coming, that Christ will return once again, and everyone will have to give an account of their lives. But the encouragement in that is this, those who know they are secure in Christ, because we know the day of the Lord is coming, should be about the mission of God every day. That because we know that day is coming in the future, that every day for us is the day of salvation. It is the day to share the gospel with others. Every day when you wake up, we should be able to remind ourselves of the fact that today is a day that God has salvation for someone. Every single day. And we may not always see the fruit of that. We may not always see those people responding, but you can be sure of this, that if you live the way that God has called you to live on his mission and you live graciously empowered by him and the world around us, people will be impacted towards that day of salvation. You don't know which piece in the timeline you may providentially and sovereignly be placed in in God's plan, but you need to be ready to do that part in that timeline. Every day is this day of salvation, and Peter wants us to focus on this. Instead of focusing simply on the judgment to come, we need to be aware of the judgment to come, that God is coming, and that when Jesus returns, the heavens and earth will pass away and be wiped away. There will be a new heavens and a new earth, and it will be perfect in that heaven. And those who are in Christ will be able to join him there. But until that day, every day, in his patience, as we see in verse 15, count the patience of the Lord as salvation. The longer Jesus waits to return in the Father's plan, the more opportunities we have for salvation of those around us. So when you're thinking about God's patience in his returning, I know there's days where you might wake up and think, today would be a good day, Lord, right? Like, maybe even this morning, right? Like, maybe you wake up and think, no, nah, it'd be a good time. I don't want to go through this day. That happens sometimes. And we, we struggle with God's sovereignty and his timeline. We struggle with his patience sometimes. And that's why verses like this are included in Scripture and repeated for us consistently. Because when we are struggling with God's plan, we need to be reminded that his plan is not only perfect, but his plan has a purpose. And the purpose is that none should perish, but that all should have an opportunity to come to salvation. So the consistent battle for us as Christians is this. When you wake up with one of those days and you think to yourself, right now, Jesus, maybe I'll stay in bed extra five minutes, it'll happen. But when we're tempted towards that, that is a, we need to be aware, that is a selfish response to the patience of the Lord. That is a self-motivated idea about God's patience. And we need to be willing to step away from those selfish concepts and be able to be driven for the good of others. So when we struggle with what's coming and we struggle with facing it and we want the Lord to return so we don't have to go there or spend our day doing what he has for us that day, remind ourselves, this is our job, remind ourselves 
that every day the Lord waits is a day for salvation. Every day. So if he doesn't return before you wake up tomorrow, he has a reason that he has not returned. And that reason is that you and I get to walk around being living examples of the gospel and sharing our faith with those around us. So that hopefully that day is another day of salvation for someone. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. And then Peter goes into this little couple of sentence blurb about Paul. And here's what I love about Peter and Paul's relationship. They're almost like sibling brothers, okay? Peter and Paul didn't always get along. We know that they actually had some arguments over some, some theological and practical matters. They actually ended up before the elders in Jerusalem to make a decision because the two of them, even though they kept button heads on, could not come to an agreement at one point. But when the elders in Jerusalem decided on something, they both walked away well and did what God had for them. Peter writes here something about Paul. He says that him and Paul agree. And this is one of the things that that I think some, some people who want to pick apart scripture or convince others that it's not accurate or want to kind of pit different places or even different characters in scripture against each other can have a tendency to take Peter and Paul and want to pit them against each other. Because they did have a few disagreements. But think about how Peter refers to Paul here. He says, just as our beloved brother. Beloved. Peter and Paul didn't always get along, but they loved each other because Christ had brought them into the same family and made them brothers. So he names Peter as a beloved brother. And then he goes on to say that Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters, when he speaks in, in them of these matters, these are some of the things in them that are hard to understand. So I don't know if Peter's trying to help folks or if he's taking a little shot at Paul. I'm not sure here. But he does kind of say, you know, I'm writing to you plainly. When Paul writes, you know, he might get a little verbose. He might use big words. He might use big concepts. It might be a little difficult to understand. And I don't know if he was referring to any specific passages, but I can think of some places in the book of Romans that are difficult to understand, that take some definite study, that take some definite eye-opening from the Holy Spirit to understand where Paul was going, what he was describing in some very deep matters. So he says to them, Paul writes the same thing as I'm writing about, that every day is a day of salvation. And that's how we should count the patience of the Lord. The longer he waits, the more people can know him. Paul writes the same thing, even though sometimes it might be hard to understand, so it's a little bit of a, it's an underhanded compliment to Paul. He writes like I do, except he's confusing. And then he goes on, he says, but these things that can be hard to understand, here's what's been happening in the, in the early church. He says, these things which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. See, when there are things that are hard to understand, we as the believers, as the family of God, are called to press in and try to understand them more. 
to get some around you maybe that have walked with the Lord longer, maybe have studied in different ways that can help you understand some of the things that don't come very easily and plainly from Scripture. But what some people will do is they will take the hard things and they will twist them, the verse says, to say something that Scripture doesn't say, and that's to their own destruction. The word here for twist is the same word that is used for torture. So Peter's using a pretty stiff word here. He says people will literally take the word of God and they will mangle it. They will torture it. They'll try to twist it in all kinds of different ways. They'll try to make it say things it doesn't say so that it's easier to explain sometimes. Sometimes they want it to say things it doesn't say so that it fits their agenda. And we need to be careful as the people of God to just very carefully say what God has said. And not try to make God say the other things that he hasn't said. I feel very, sometimes like it's a, it's somewhat of a military example, right? Because in the military, and some of you have probably served in the room, and there's often in the military a phrase used that you could be on a need-to-know basis and you don't need to know. So sometimes there's things that we don't know. And God just says, you don't need to know. What you do need to know, you already know. Because he has shown us those truths through his word. So when someone tries to literally twist, torture, and mangle, those are the definitions of that word, the original language. When someone tries to twist or torture or mangle the word of God, and sometimes, I'll I'll warn you with this too, sometimes they sound really smart doing it. Here's what you and I need to understand. We need to pause and say, does God's word, God's word actually say that? It's a phrase I picked up from my dad often. Show me that verse. That's a good one to ask. Right? Can, you sh- can you show me that verse? I don't remember God saying that. Could you show me where, and, and maybe offer him your Bible, can you show me where he said that? It's a very dangerous thing to start trying to put words in God's mouth. We shouldn't be doing that. And not only should we not be doing it, we shouldn't be standing for others trying to do it. And we definitely shouldn't allow those who try to put words in God's mouth to lead us astray. And that's where the diligence comes in. We have to know God's word if we're going to know what it says and what it doesn't say. So we have to be diligent about understanding the word of God. So the first encouragement in verses 15 through 17 is to be diligent to share the gospel in this day of salvation every day. And the word this day, that means today. And tomorrow, when you go back and read your notes and it says be diligent to share the gospel on this day of salvation, that means tomorrow when you wake up too. And the day after that when you wake up and you look at that note maybe once again, it means that day too. Every day that the Lord patiently waits is the day of salvation. So be diligent to share the gospel in it each and every day. Secondly, be diligent to consistently grow in grace and knowledge. That's how you discern if someone is speaking the words of God or if somebody is speaking their own agenda and trying to use God. 
If you're continually growing in grace and knowledge, you'll know what the Lord has said and what comes from the mouth of men. He goes on in verse 17 after he, you know, I'm trying to figure out what he does there. He compliments Paul and then he kind of doesn't compliment him, but then he warns us. So that's kind of what verse 16 is, okay? He's saying, Paul is my beloved brother. We love each other. We agree about the gospel being important to every day as the Lord waits. He says it a little more confusing. I say it a little easier. But in the end, what happens is people will try to twist it to say something it doesn't. So be diligent. Know the word. Walk with the Lord. Verse 17. You therefore, he uses this word again, beloved. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. Knowing what? Every time you see that in scripture, it says knowing this or it says therefore. You got to pause for a second and look back. Knowing what is he talking about? Knowing that some will try to twist scripture to their own agenda. So knowing this, beloved, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Take care. Be diligent. Taking care, this word is is driven towards a personal responsibility. It is my personal responsibility to know the word of the Lord and to know what he has said. I need to be diligent in it. It is also your personal responsibility to know the word of the Lord and to know what he has said. I'm going to say something here, I might throw you for a loop, okay? It is not my personal responsibility to make sure that you know the word of the Lord, okay? It is my personal responsibility every time that I get up here to make sure that the words that come out of my mouth match up with his. It is my personal responsibility as a pastor to encourage you to know the word of the Lord, but I can't make you do it. There is a personal diligence that has to be involved. You need To see God's word, if you're a follower of his, a child of the king, you need to see that he has graciously given us all of this. And treasure it. Because if you don't, somebody will say something that sounds right. And before you know it, you'll be off in left field. Saying something that God didn't say. And wasting your time. It is the diligence of the believers that keeps us from wasting our days. Because when we are diligent to know God's word, we will continually be reminded of what our mission is. That every day that we experience the patience of the Lord is a day of salvation. I know personally and from a distance way too many Christians that give way too much of their time to secondary unimportant matters. Way too many. It's disheartening sometimes, particularly as a pastor, 
to hear and see people who I know know Jesus and I know love the Lord get so distracted from what God has clearly called us to. It's, it's tough. Every day the Lord waits to return is a day that we need to wake up and know it's about the mission of God to seek and save the lost. Every day. That and being diligent to be in God's word will keep you from being led astray by myths and rabbit trails and off into all kinds of stuff that doesn't actually matter in light of eternity. Stuff that doesn't hold up. The stuff that's going to get burned up and go away. Don't devote your life to that stuff. Devote your life to the stuff that's going to last forever. That's where we can maintain hope in our world. A broken world that we know is broken. But we can maintain hope by keeping our eyes fixed on that which will last forever. Waking every day and doing that. Be diligent to share the gospel in the day of salvation. Be diligent to consistently grow in grace and in knowledge. In verse 18, he says, but grow instead. Instead of being made unstable and being led astray, the antithesis of that, the opposite of that is this. Don't be led astray and become unstable. Instead, verse 18, grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the call every day we wake up. So ask yourself that continually. How am I growing in grace and knowledge? And here's the interesting thing, and and sometimes I think Christians get labeled as being know-it-alls, right? Here's the good thing about taking this verse and applying it to our lives every day. If we know that every day we need to grow, every day, in grace and knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ, it has a uniquely humbling factor in our lives. We know that we haven't arrived. We know that we don't know everything. We know that God is the hero of the story, not us. And then we can actually go about our days with humility. We can go about our days doing what we talked about last week and being diligent in our repentance because we don't have to act perfect. If you try to act perfect, you know what everybody around you thinks? That you are deeply deceived. When Christians try to act perfect, people don't revere you for that because they know that nobody's perfect. So instead of trying to be perfect, Let's grow in our grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And hopefully, hopefully, when we die and pass on from this world, we're not concerned with people remembering who we are. We're concerned with people remembering who he is. And that will continue to last. Longer than you or I will be here. So be diligent, brothers and sisters. And then lastly, As we're diligent and growing in grace and knowledge. See, there's this interesting thing. When you grow in the knowledge of God, you grow in the grace of God. When you grow in the grace of God, you grow in the knowledge of God. These are are similar pathways. They go together. 
The more you know about God, the more gracious you will be. People who struggle with graciousness, it's because they don't actually know the Lord that well yet. Because people who understand how much grace they've received, they're gracious with others. People that struggle with giving grace to others, they don't know how gracious God's been with them. As you grow to know the Lord better and know what he's done for you more, you will grow in grace towards those around you. Because you'll see him for more for who he is every day. And then every day you think, man, he's been abundantly gracious with me. I better be gracious with those around me. And you ask the Lord for help in that. And lastly, the last sentence. What is the last thing that we need to remember from this passage to be diligent about? It's this. The last sentence says, to him, who? To our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. What's the last challenge? Be diligent to make sure God gets all the glory. Be diligent to not be a glory stealer. Don't try to take credit for what God's doing. Don't get caught in what I like to use this phrase. Don't get caught in the nice guy syndrome or the nice girl syndrome. People are like, you are such a nice guy. And you're thinking, thank you. No. In your heart of hearts, without the Lord Jesus changing you, you're not that nice. That's not, I'm not, I'm not trying, I, I should say it for myself. That might be easier for everybody to grasp, right? <laughs> without the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not who we are. Now in him. So when people do pay you a compliment or people do look at your life and say, my word, you you kind of seem to have it maybe a little bit more together than the people around you. You're a little bit more at peace in a chaotic world. What is that? Don't give them some pragmatic response where like, well, you know, I take my time on things and I really think them through. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't steal God's glory. Just very clearly say to him, you know, I'd be a train wreck without Jesus. So let him get the glory. Be diligent in it. And then you won't allow the pride that so easily creeps into your life to become overwhelming. As we grow in our grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, be diligent to give the glory to the Lord always. How long does it say? Now, when? It says now and when? To the day of eternity. Now and every now after this. Let the glory go to God. And if we do that as the people of God, the world around us will be attracted to him. And they'll look to him. And don't worry, they'll see some of your flaws sometimes. And they won't turn away from the Lord because you're a broken human being. Because you'll be able to say, yeah, I know it's not about me. I am broken. It's about him. He's not. And then people will grasp what he has done for them. So as we finish up this particular study through 2 Peter, we've been given a lot 
of information. We've given a lot of challenges. We've also been given a lot of encouragement from God's word. And as we seek to be diligent people, let's remember what he's called us to be diligent in. In every area of life, growing in our grace and knowledge of him, understanding that every day is another day for us to try to bring salvation to the world around us. And then no matter what happens, all the time, give all the glory to him, now and forever. That's Peter's little synopsis here as he ends this book. He ends with this word, amen. Literally, the word means, say it again. Say it again. And if the Lord gives us more days and continues to be patient, we should continually go back to the same truth. That we know who we are in him. We know what every day is meant for. And when good things happen, he gets all the glory. Let's be people that try to live this out. Every day. As people who are diligent and stable and at peace with the God of the universe, miraculously choosing to save us. Not of ourselves, only of him. And then when people notice, which I hope they notice, that our lives are different, then we get to direct them to him. Let's pray that God gives us many opportunities to do that.